0: Prime Time with Sean Mooney is brought to you by the Rock and Wrestling Podcast, hosted by Nick Newman. You like rock? You like wrestling? You will love the Rock and Wrestling Podcast. However, standing by right now is the one and the only
1: Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney. Everybody's got a price for the million-dollar man. <laughs> After he threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she was falling asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part?
0: <laughs> well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> who else could it be? You know, I think it
1: would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame.
0: Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't You can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't <laughs> even show them on TV.
1: Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed.
0: Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Prime Time with Sean Mooney. I am fired up this week. Man, we had a great podcast last week, with Vicky Guerrero, who happened to be our first female guest on PTSM. And it's it's really odd to me even to even think about that uh, because, uh, you know, there are so many great women who have been involved in the world of professional wrestling, um, but, you know, it's many of them are, are gone. I mean, uh, Sensational Sherry is a guest I would have loved to have had on, but there's so many, and I've been meaning to. Uh, I'd been meaning to have Vicky on. I did a show with her with the uh, the Edge and Christian show that's going to be coming out very soon, and I had mentioned it to her and she said, "Yeah, absolutely, let's do it." But it's, you know, it's trying to get everybody's schedule lined up, and it just turned out to be perfect timing because it also happened to be the week of the uh 13th anniversary of Eddie Guerrero's death. And so, uh really it it was just a, a great conversation. So much to talk about. I mean, Vicky, of course, we talked a lot about Eddie. She was so uh, candid about that entire experience. I mean, here these are two people who basically knew each other uh, when they were really young kids. They grew up in the same town. Uh, they end up uh, getting together um, when they're you know uh, early in life. Uh, they start a family. I mean, and she had that perspective as a wrestler's wife, and then of course all she went through with Eddie and his demons and uh, him, him coming back. And then, of course, his tragic end. And then she has this other life of becoming a WWE superstar, perhaps one of the greatest heels. I mean, and and it, she never knew she had these gifts. And then you you meet and you talk with her. She is one of the sweetest human beings on the planet, and uh, so I, I really really love that. A conversation with Vicki and such a great person. I can't wait to see her again, but guys, see, this is what I keep telling you. Uh, you never know what to expect on PTSM, but one thing you can expect is when I tell you we've got a great guest, I mean it. And, uh, you may, uh, you know, hear who the guest is prior to listening to the conversation and go, wow, man, what, why, why would he want to talk to that person? Or why is that person on the podcast? Uh, trust me now, will you? Uh, when I tell you that we've got a great guest, I mean it. I'm not going to let you down, and uh, we continue to keep having these tremendous conversations. As I mentioned with with uh, Vicky, so many things I didn't know about, uh, you know, her relationship with Eddie, uh, all the behind the scenes uh, stuff uh, when she, uh, you know, started getting involved with the WWE, and then after that, imagine, you know, losing your husband like that. And uh, within about eight months, she's with the WWE and they're thinking, okay, this may last a couple of months. And she turned that into uh, quite quite a career and she's doing great now. And uh, I really want to thank Vicky for coming on. Um, so I'm going to say this right now, we've got another great guest coming up this week. It is Thanksgiving week. You're all going to stuff your faces. You're going to watch the, that game on the gridiron football but, why not listen to a great conversation? And uh, coming up this week, we've got Jimmy Corderas. okay? Now, come on, and I know that you hardcore WWF fans know exactly who I'm talking about. Jimmy was uh, a a big uh, a referee with the WWF for for years. twenty two years that guy was with the WWE. And uh, it's always I always love getting these other perspectives from people who maybe aren't household names. But you figure they spend that much time with the WWE, they've got a lot to talk about. And uh, Jimmy absolutely did in this conversation coming up, and you're going to hear it in just a moment. Uh, Before we get there, though, I want to uh, remind everybody that uh, this week uh, I will be in Winston-Salem at WrestleCade. And I'm hoping if you're in the area, you're going to come by and see me. I'll be there uh, for uh, signings and, of course, pictures. And I'm really looking forward to it because I'm going to run into a lot of my old friends That's happening uh, this Saturday, uh, the 23rd, at the Benton Convention Center in uh, Winston-Salem. And I will be there uh, Saturday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And if you're in the area, please come by and see me. Uh, You can get tickets to this great event uh, by going to WrestleK.com. Really looking forward to that. Of course, uh, a lot of other things happening. Uh, We are continuing to move forward. We're going to have a lot more of these uh, watch-alongs. Uh, we've got a couple of new ideas i I threw out some uh, some of these ideas to you last week. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, anytime you want to uh, get on the internet and email me, it's real easy to do. We're at Gmail. Uh, all you have to do is uh, primetime mooney at gmail dot com and uh, let me know what you're thinking. Of course, continue to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, those numbers continue to grow. And That's at Primetime Mooney. We make it so easy. And of course, uh, check us out on uh, Facebook. That's where you get a lot of our information at uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney on Facebook. And of course, on YouTube, we continue to put more and more material up there. And it's great to see those numbers growing as well. But in the meantime, what do you say we get to another great conversation here on Primetime with Sean Mooney and hear from Jimmy Corderas? Ding, ding, ding. I have a very special guest this week here on Prime Time with Sean Mooney. Uh, he's, uh, you know, as, as a lot of employees of the World Wrestling Federation, uh, World uh, Wrestling Entertainment, <laughs> you have to wear a lot of hats to that company. And uh, this is certainly one of those individuals uh, when you come into the business. And I'm really uh, very happy to welcome Jimmy Corderas to uh, PTSM. Jimmy, thanks for joining us. How are you?
1: I- I'm good. and Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been a long time, my friend.
0: Yeah, it has. You know, I was uh, kind of looking at uh, years here. You know, when I was with the WWF from uh, 88 until 93, uh, I know you started earlier with uh, the uh, the Honorable President of uh, the WWF, uh, Jack Tunney, in, in, uh, in Canada. But uh, I know you uh, were working pretty much steady from that point on in 87 all the way to 2009. And you had what an amazing career. I mean, that is... Uh, quite a span. Did you, uh, when you look back, you go, did it seem like it was a blink or do you was, did it seem like it was a long time?
1: Um, You know, because it it, it sounds cliche to say, but because I, you know, I loved it so much. it, It doesn't feel like it was like 20 plus years. You know what I mean? It just, uh, obviously I don't remember everything that happened and yeah. some stuff I I uh, is on purpose. I choose not to remember. I mean, like every day is not biscuits and gravy, but man, I loved it so much. And, and it, you know, I think back on it and I go, man, time flew.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were uh, able to document it all. Uh, Jimmy uh, has written a book. It's uh, the three count, my life and stripes as a WWE referee uh, Jimmy Corderson, and uh, you know I'm getting quite an education these days about uh, Canadian uh, wrestling and and uh, you know how people uh, you know uh, participated in the industry because you know like within the last I, well, I don't know the last couple of months and, and um, our producer Casey Jeromebeck will back back me up on this. And we've had you know we had uh, Adam uh, Copeland on, and then uh, we just had uh, Santina Morella. Uh, Anthony Corelli and uh, we I move mean, it seemed, you know, I, it made me realize, you know, just going over to the guests, how big a Canadian connection there is to the uh, world of professional wrestling. I mean, it's huge, right?
1: It, it is huge. And, and just names you mentioned, like six degrees of separation, you know, yeah. Adam wrote the foreword for my book, which was a great honor for me. And, and Santino, AKA Anthony Corelli, um, yeah. He, he does a show up here in Canada with me on Sportsnet where we, yeah. it's basically, um, what I would refer to as wrestling's version of the talking dead. Which, uh, aired, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's fun. We have a lot of fun with it. It, it, it airs weekly up here. And, but, and you know, you mentioned Jack Tunney yeah. who was president of WWF uh, slash yeah. E for a long, you know, he's Canadian and his right hand man, Billy red lines, but a lot of talent that came from Canada that, uh, I don't know if people realize, I mean, there's the obvious ones, like Canada's greatest athlete, Iron Mike Sharp. I don't yeah. know if people remember that name, but yeah. no. it, you know, it, it, it was a hotbed up here, not only here in Toronto. Toronto, obviously, Maple Leaf Gardens kind of like the Madison Square Garden North. But, yeah. um, you know, there's a rich history coming out of Calgary as well and, and B.C., so all across Canada.
0: Well, and they also had, you know, the territory set up. That a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I think uh, when they look back, at uh, these territories that uh, were eventually taken over by the WWF, uh, WWE. Uh, but there were also a number of territories, the same thing up in Canada, where you had, uh, you know, the, the Hart family, uh, you know, had their organization up there. And then, of course, the Rougeau brothers, uh, the Rougeau family. And, I mean, and, and of course, Maple Leaf Wrestling up there with uh, Jack Tunney and his group. But it was just as established as it was in the United States. And very strong Absolutely. wrestling.
1: Yeah. I mean, like comparatively speaking, obviously, because Canada's population nowhere near as as big as the United States, but still you can almost compare it to like the old territory days down there where, you know, you had Bill Watts in the mid South and you had uh, Crockett in the East coast and, you know, Jim Barnett and Sam Munchnick and all those great territory, you know, Don Owens out in Pacific Northwest. Uh, I would say very similar and uh, very popular up here. I mean, you know, uh, wrestling in Canada, for some reason, always had a great following. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, uh, that following is still as strong as it was back in the day, but, uh, you know, back when I was a youngster watching, it was huge. I mean, I, I remember my first, uh, event at 10 years old, going to an outdoor stadium show here in Toronto at the old varsity stadium, which was headlined by, uh, Dory Funk Jr. defending the NWA Championship against the, the original Sheik at Farhat.
0: Wow, oh, man! Uh, yeah, rich in history. And uh, if you know the layout of Canada, folks, you'll kind of know what we're we're talking about here. How the, you know? I think people kind of think of Montreal, you know, but they don't understand that there's just there was just so much the the expanse there and uh, all these different organizations. Um, I, I believe you you grew up in the, in Toronto and um and folks we're we gonna be talking about i mean jimmy uh one of the most well-known referees uh, in the wwf along with the uh, timmy white and of course uh, uh the dangerous one danny davis where these guys are actually personalities but i want to take you back a little bit further than that though uh, jimmy before we get into that and uh talk a little bit about where you came from how you uh, that, that path that led you to you know driving a car for for jack tunney uh of all things but uh, Give us a little bit of the, of how that uh, path uh, was laid out before you.
1: Yeah. um, I mean, like, again, I was a huge fan. So I, they used to run Maple Leaf Gardens up here every three weeks. It was like clockwork. And then Monday would be Brantford, uh, Ontario television tapings for uh, superstars before going back to Poughkeepsie, New York on Tuesdays for, for superstars. Uh And that was, that was the regular routine, but I was there every three weeks. Uh, but I, one of my hobbies back then was taking pictures. So I'd, you know, show up, I'd had what the equivalent of, uh, season tickets.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: I would have the same seats, every show, second row ringside, right beside, you remember that ramp that used to go from the dressing room to the ring that was level which, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. ring height. It, it was unique for Maple Leaf Gardens was the only place yeah. that I could recall had that at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was right beside that ramp, so the boys would walk out, and I'd take pictures, and I'd get some great shots, and I'd come back the next show, and I'd sell them. <laughs>
0: Boy, you're <laughs> entrepreneurial! Uh, how old were you at this point in time?
1: I don't know, about 17, 18, when I started doing that, and okay. uh, and then Smart. after, well, it was fueling my wrestling habit because it was I was making enough money to pay for the film, the development, and actually the tickets and stuff yeah. like that. So, and maybe a few bucks on the side, but anyway. Uh, it, it was fun. It was a lot of fun doing that, but uh, uh, Jack Taney's right-hand man at the time, Elio Zarlenga, uh caught me selling the pictures outside and said, uh, basically, hey, you can't be doing this. This is copyright infringement and all this stuff, and I'm playing dumb now. Yeah. Well, I really? didn't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, but he he was really cool about it, and then we became friends, kind of. Like, I'd see him at the shows, and... Eventually, he said, hey, you know what? You seem like an all right guy. Let me introduce you to Jack Tunney and see if he's got anything for you, uh, maybe to take pictures for us and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And, and before we move forward, though, Jimmy, uh, mm-hmm. because a lot of the, the people that were big or fans of the WWF only know really uh, Jack Tunney as, as this figurehead, uh, you know, and he was a, he was great at it. I mean, he was like perfect for that role as president. Of the WWF and, and he did a great job at it. He was the, the perfect person to have at these press conferences, you know, and, 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 uh, throw down these, uh, you know, these rulings, but he was, uh, the real deal in Canada. He, he was very much involved in professional wrestling and his brother and, uh, and that organization up there. So, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Cause I don't think a lot of people realize the, the Tunney family and and they're uh, they're part of professional wrestling in that history there.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it started with his uncle Frank, uh, who right. Frank Tunney, who began Tunney Sports up here in Maple Leaf Wrestling. And right. when the Maple Leaf Gardens opened, and if I'm not mistaken, I know I'm sure somebody will get on Twitter and correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> Maple Leaf Gardens opened in 1931. I believe the first event held there was a wrestling mm. event, and mm-hmm. it, right before. Or the the Toronto Maple Leaf hockey team even played there, and i and Frank Tunney was the promoter.
0: Wow.
1: So you know it started back then. and then when when Frank Tunney passed away, it was just a natural transition that Jack would take over because he had learned the business so well from Frank, and he was so um, um you know, and Frank Tunney and Vince McMahon's father, Vince senior, senior, yeah were really good. We're really close and good friends as well as you know, working together in a business capacity. So, you know, that natural connection there between Vince Jr. and Jack, it almost seemed like a natural for them to be working together. So um, when, when WWF began their expansion across the United States and, and basically buying up territories, it was only natural for him to move up north. So he struck a deal with Jack and Jack was basically the promoter up here for the WWF yeah. still at the time, as well as working as the quote unquote president.
0: Yeah, and um, at at the time, and I don't know if you were uh, aware of what was happening uh, at that time, I and mean, you certainly are, are aware of it now. But you know, folks, when when that happened, uh, and you know, Vince McMahon had this vision. We all know he was his goal was to basically take over all of these organizations, have them come with him or be pushed aside, and um, it was it was pretty controversial at the time when. Ah, uh, Jack struck this deal with with uh, Vince McMahon Jr. because it changed everything as far as uh, the territories in Canada went. Um, how big a deal was that back then? Do you remember it being, you know, folks, who, uh, you know, these promoters going, "What the hell's going on?" And and it did it seem like uh, you know Tunney was kind of uh, you know turning his back on them.
1: Um, at the time, I wasn't realizing it, but you know. Yeah in the later years, I came to realize that the promoters up in Canada, everyone from Stu Hart originally before Stu decided to, you know, jump on the train as well. Like all the promoters from Montreal and everywhere were kind of like, man, you know, with Jack signing on, that's, that's a big deal because the uniqueness about Maple Leaf Gardens before they became a WWF territory, Mm -hmm. uh, that Jack Tunney would have, um, talent from, Basically, all promotions. I mean, we'd have AWA champion Nick bockwinkle on the card, and and Bob Backlund would be defending the WWF title on a yeah. card, and then the the NWA champion. So it wasn't just you know one organization that was feeding the talent for for the uh, the shows at Maple Leaf Gardens. They were coming from everywhere, and now with with Vince taking over the territory, now it's it changed everything, and yeah. and you know and the other promoters up in canada i think they kind of saw the writing on the wall they were thinking uh, how do we stop this train and then they figured there's no stop in this train we better yeah, So get- how do we get on it yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but it but it did it really changed everything and i, I have to imagine uh, you know the wwf was still becoming established then that tony was taking a, a bit of a chance or people must have seen it that way because he was closing the door on getting a lot of this other talent to come in and work for him. But he saw with uh, the direction that Vince was going uh, and, uh, you know, struck the deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, like it's, it's, it, as everybody knows now, the big gamble that Vince took with Russell, the first WrestleMania, yeah. basically the farm uh, to, to hope that this thing succeeds. And I think that, um, uh, I can't speak for Jack, obviously, you know, yeah. but I think that, um, he saw that vision, and he saw um, the mind. Like people could argue all they want from a creative standpoint whether they like what Vince does or not, but from yeah. from a business standpoint and a marketing standpoint, and taking uh, the perceptions of pro wrestling in in mainstream, because uh, let's be honest, it never really had a um, what's the word I'm looking for here. The, it, you know it a lot of people in mainstream media and in in the casual fans didn't view wrestling as a highbrow form of entertainment.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's something they battled forever.
1: Yeah. They're not going to erase that stigma completely, but at least they're trying to lessen it to some degree. And I think, I think Jack saw that as a positive and thought, yeah, you know, I think there's an opportunity here for all of us to make some money here.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Unfortunately, it didn't end well uh, in the end, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, let's get back because we got off track here a bit. But I find it fascinating how that all came together. But here you are uh, basically getting a foot in the door. You mentioned uh, Elio Zarlinga, and you're driving, Mm -hmm. I guess you're driving a car for them, picking up talent or whatever, just doing whatever you can. So uh, what does that entail? They bring you in, and uh, Mm -hmm. you're not working in the ring yet. You're just doing what you
1: can, right? No, just what, yeah, exactly. Like you said, just like, Hey, what do you need me to do? Hey, uh, take my car, go out to the the Marriott by the airport and go pick up Andre, the giant. And, uh, and Timmy used to travel with him at the time. So that's how I got familiar with Timmy white, Yeah, you know? So it was like, go pick up, um, Andre and Timmy white and bring them down to the building and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Basically just running errands and doing whatever needed to be done.
0: So did that, is that how it went? I mean, you just kept, doing a good job and then more opportunities came or were there these moments of being in the right place and being lucky or how did your progress with that outfit go
1: i think i think it was a little bit of both i think they saw you know not to to do the old pat on the back thing but they saw that i worked hard because i genuinely liked being around it you know i mean this was this was not only a job it was really freaking cool (laughs) you know what i mean look at this I'm hanging out with Hulk Hogan, and yeah, Ryan. you're going to pick I-
0: up Andre the Giant, who's you know that's uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's inside you're losing it, but on the outside you're trying to look cool and it's not looking good, but still you're trying, you know? yeah. yeah, and then all of a sudden it was almost like okay, we're going to put you on the ring crew now, and I felt like well, damn, if I'm on the ring crew, I can't go pick up these guys and kind right. of you know what I, but at the same time it's like well, you know that's what they want me to do, so I'm going to do it, and you know eventually there it morphed into. Uh, another opportunity, which I have to thank Pat Patterson for, into refereeing.
0: And and a lot of people, that's the way they start with the company, uh, you know, one after another. I mean, Vince even had Shane work the ring crew because that's how you learn the business. And uh, is that what it was like for you? I mean, what kind of a window is that into, especially the house shows, it's not necessarily how TV works, but just seeing how this circus travels and how they put it together every night.
1: Yeah, I, uh, that's the part that people don't see is is yeah. the, the, you know, the getting there early and setting up and, and making sure that everything is right. Because, you know, obviously, the first, first and foremost, you want, you know, the ring to be safe for everybody. You yeah. know, I mean, accidents happen, you know, stuff breaks, but, you know, you can minimize those as best you can by just being cautious and, and making sure that everything's set up right. And then, you know, guys show up and you start helping them out with little things that they need done, whether they're, you know, going over little things or whatever, you know what I mean? So yeah. you're. The, the one thing I, I always prided myself on was like, when stuff like that would happen, I would be that quiet fly on the wall and try to be a sponge and just listen to what people say and try to absorb that and try to process it and try to understand it, not yeah. just hear it, understand what Okay. Hey, we're going to do this, but uh, and then try to understand why they're doing certain things. You know, I was trying to learn as much as I could as I went along.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned when we started the conversation, you know, you wear a lot of hats, and that's that's where it starts. Um, You know, you you still be working the ring crew, but and then you're going to be refereeing three or four matches at these house shows, and right? I mean, you're just you do whatever they need you to do. We need you up at
1: concession. You know, (laughs) need you to sell some merch. Done that too. Yeah. done it all i've, yeah. I've ring announced i've uh i've done that <laughs> i mean like hey you know all of a sudden you know good old uh good old chief jay strongbow uh, he used to call me jimmy jam for some reason uh jimmy jam yeah. says, uh do you have a blazer by any chance i said yeah he says well put it on your ring announcing tonight said, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you know like, uh, chief do you know i've never done this before oh you'll be fine
0: yeah you'll be great here just here's the card you mentioned uh pat uh got you into refereeing how did that come about because i know before you do this and you certainly have seen uh, you know probably thousands of matches at this point but mm-hmm. there is a skill to it so uh, tell me how it came about and then you know your first time in the ring and you're thrown in there and it's pretty much just stay the f out of the way right
1: well it was weird because all of a sudden you know pat pat um was talking to jack and i happened to be there and this is it's, and just turns to Jack out of the blue and says, uh, hey, Jack, the kid over here, I can't do the patent uh, accent, but uh, the kid over you here, you know, the
0: accent, come on, uh, you must know the French oh, Canadian. Hey,
1: yeah, hey, hey, you know, Jack, there, the kid over a there, banana. He, you know, yeah, yeah he <laughs> he'll go nut.
0: Yeah, um, go nuts. That's, you know, that's he, how it's easy to do the, the, just get, you get rid of the last letter of every word and you're good.
1: It's pretty yeah. much <laughs> And you mentioned. You, you I remember
0: Renee Grelle would say, "Yeah, you have this shrimp sandwich. It's excellent to have the shrimp. The shrimp sandwich. You mean a shrimp? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, got it. Okay.
1: But anyway, uh, you have had a hedge on your show as well. Too, yeah. <laughs> That's <right.
0: laughs> All right, So he throws you. So he goes, let the kid get the let the kid give him a chance,' or what?
1: Hey today, why don't we? You know, he sit, he sets up the ring. He waits the whole show for the the, the oh. show to finish, and he tears down the ring. Like, why don't we use them? We'll make him a referee." And then Jack turned to him and said, "Well, we don't want to smarten the kid up." And Pat, you know, It's like, but he's been around here for like a year and a half. Well, what do you mean smarten him up? He's in the locker room with the boys. So Pat came up and says, "Go oh, buy black pants, black sneakers, a blue, baby blue, sh- you know, shirt, and a black bow tie, and you know, carry it with you." And I thought, "All right, cool." So in my mind, I'm thinking, "Okay, one of these days somebody's going to tell me how to do this," but,
0: yeah, but I guess we're waiting. For- I got the outfit.
1: Yeah, I had the ref I carried it with me, you know, like a like a good soldier. You always carry it with you, no matter what. And then just I'm waiting for someone to train me in some form or fashion. But you know, all of a sudden one day, again, Chief, uh Jimmy Jam, you got your ref gear with you? Yes, you do, Chief. He says, put it on, you're refing tonight. And I must look like a I've just seen a ghost. He goes, What's the matter? You don't want to ref? I said, no, no, absolutely. I'm going to get changed right now. So I went, and I'm getting changed and uh, I had a match with SD Jones, who, thank goodness, I was, you know, really good terms with, really good friend, right. and Jose Luis Rivera, who was wearing a mask as the red demon at the time. Oh, okay. So, I went to SD, and I said, uh, SD, I'm refereing your match tonight. I, he says, okay, great. I said, I've never refereed a match before. Just listen to me. You'll be fine. Yeah. And he talked me through the entire match, and I got through it. I probably looked like a... Uh, a little bit of a robot going through it, but still, he got me through it. And afterwards, he you know sat me down, and said you know next time when this happens, you know look for this, and he was very great about it. And then, you know, as more shows came along, then guys like Timmy would uh, would and Dave Hebner at the time as well. Yeah, uh, and this was even before Earl joined, you know, joined WWF. Uh, so you know, David and uh, Timmy and uh, and Danny Davis you mentioned too as well. Yeah. Everybody was so helpful. It was unreal.
0: Now, Jimmy, I'm going to hold you up right there because I want to take a brief time out here to uh, once again thank our sponsor and also tell you a little bit about this great sponsor here with us uh, here on PTSM. Uh, They uh, joined us this week, and uh, I happen to be a guest on their podcast, so uh, I can speak from experience and tell you you really should take a listen. Uh, the name of the podcast is Rock and Wrestling, uh, hosted by Nick Newman, and uh, really a great experience with this guy. And I love this podcast because, uh, you know, it's called Rock and Wrestling, and it, it's, uh, it, it, they're big lo- lovers of, uh, of course, rock and heavy metal. In the heavy metal world, they love to talk about that, but they also uh, talk about uh, wrestling. And, you know, those, world, those worlds aren't too far apart. I mean, if you think back to when I was with the WWF, uh, all those superstars were rock stars. And these guys have uh, combined their love for both into a great podcast, and they talk about that and everything else that uh, might come up. Uh, Some of the guests they've had on the show uh, include uh, Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses, uh, Flip Borden's been on there as well, Conrad Thompson, my good friend, also Jim Florentine, Tony Schiavone, and as I mentioned, uh, I had an opportunity to be on there. And they are big supporters of uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney, so uh, I really would love to uh, have you check them out, add them to your podcast list. Uh, they're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, also on Buzzsprout. And they've got new episodes coming up every Wednesday. And they'd also love to have you follow them on social media. They'd love to have you follow them on social media as well. Uh, you can catch them on Twitter at Nick's RNW Podcast. That's at Nick's RNW Podcast. Of course, on Instagram at rock n the letter n wrestling podcast that's at rock n wrestling podcast and of course on facebook that's nick's rock and wrestling podcast as i mentioned they drop uh, those episodes every wednesday check out my good friends at rock and wrestling podcast hosted by nick newman so uh you say that no one really trained you so kind of give me the capsule of you know, what are you doing there? Because I, I, I've talked to Timmy before. I've, I've talked to Danny. Uh, what was your philosophy in the ring uh, to be a good ref for a match?
1: Well, for me, it took a long time to get there. Yeah. A long time. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long learning. And you're learning all the time. But yeah. um, for me, the art of being a good ref is is so. there's so many different aspects to it. A, you need to be invisible until you need to be visible. Right. Um, uh, you know, cause what you're doing is you're helping the talent tell their story. You're like that. You're like that, uh, supporting actor who people will say, Hey, I know that guy from somewhere, but I don't know where I know him from. Well, that's yeah. good. Cause yeah. you're not supposed to be unless right. you're an angle like with Danny or something like that, where, you know, you're, you're a focal point. If you're not a focal point, then you shouldn't be someone that everybody points at. At the same time, you're also helping direct a little traffic. Again, letting them tell their story, but at the same time helping them facilitate it by uh, relaying a message if somebody wants something done uh, a certain way, or tell tell so and so to do this, or tell them mm-hmm. to watch the booth or mm-hmm. you know, or giving times or something like that. Just play, basically playing traffic cop. And uh, the one thing I had trouble learning was not to overreact. I right. mean, I, don't overreact. Yeah, you want to make yeah. it look natural because. Um If the audience is watching, and even if they are paying attention to the referee, which hopefully they're not, but even if they look and they look and they say, "Well, that referee's really intented, looks like he's really you know paying attention, then he's doing his job. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. if that makes sense. yeah
0: so, so you know uh, back at that that period of time, uh, I know when I was there. And, and for some time after, uh, referees were often a big part of these matches. Um, that's how many of you became uh, indirectly known as personalities with the WWF. Um, and, and a lot of people, I'm sure you're asked all the time, um, how you are uh, let into the match. Uh, I know in many cases, you don't certainly know the entire what's going on, what's going to happen or whatever, but your part is very important. So explain how that, dance is is put together for you with with your part of it
1: um yeah what i used to like to do i know there were everybody was a little bit different like some guys um would say to the talent like you know just go and get the finish of the match and say something along the lines like is there any other spots you need me there for and that's about it Uh, what i would like to do especially if it was a Uh pay-per-view or something like that uh, I would go to wh- whatever match I was assigned. I would go to them and say, well, are you, when are you guys going to uh, talk over your match? I'd like to be there just to hear you. you oh, okay. guys talk." Okay. I would sit there more again, just to listen to what their, their game plan is, what they plan to do. And, um, and most were and, pretty know, cool with that. Oh yeah. Uh, with, actually, yeah. some of them found it a little refreshing and surprising and saying, oh, cool. You want to I said, yeah, man, I, I'm not doing anything. I, I'd rather listen to you guys. And, you know, know what you guys are doing instead of being surprised out there. And all of a sudden you guys got some great spot. You guys got set up and I screw it up because I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. You know? Well, in
0: some ways though, that's interesting because others wanted not to know because then it would be, you know, they, for they needed that natural reaction. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And, and not knowing, but that's were there exceptions with the guys were, were very uncomfortable with you being in there or, or not.
1: Not that I could recall. Uh, And if they did, nobody really said anything. But uh, I think a lot of them were taken aback by the fact that I liked sitting there just listening to it. And then it took a a long time, like many, many, many years uh, before, you know, I was comfortable enough with offering even suggestions for matches. Like, uh, you know, like if if something was going on, like uh, um, I'll give big credit to Eddie Guerrero for this because, you know, uh I'd be sitting there and he'd be going over his match and he'd look over and he goes what and I'd be like what do you mean what <laughs> yeah. he says I I see that look in your face what I said, nothing I said just something popped in my head he says well spit it out man like you know let's hear it mm. you know and if they liked it they said oh cool yeah okay and if they didn't like it they would say you know I don't think that would work so um but you know he was one of the guys who said listen man if you got an idea you know just politely say hey do you mind if I offer a suggestion and and Nine times out of ten, the guys are cool with it, you know. So yeah. uh, he helped me like break out of a little bit of a shell that I had, where I thought it wasn't my place to say anything. If but also, I'm like, sure that,
0: that 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 takes a lot of trust um, for those you know for those guys to bring you into that. So that that's a that's quite a compliment that they would, you know, trust you enough and know and value what you brought to the match that they would you know say so. Oh, that's got an idea awesome that'll work or if it didn't i'm sure they could say nah, well it's not going to work but that's still pretty cool that they would even consider it that's the first it, time i've ever heard that
1: yeah it was it was a really cool and and <clears throat> and it, and i found out it was it wasn't just me it, uh, guys were starting to get more comfortable doing it yeah. uh because of people like eddie and 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 guys like that who are so open to um suggestions from from people because in their mind, they're thinking, well, look, you've been here for like 15 years or whatever. You've you've seen a lot of what goes on here. You've listened. You see, you kind of got an idea. Why wouldn't you have a – why wouldn't I listen to your suggestion? You know, even if it's – even if I don't think it's great, yeah. there's nothing wrong with hearing the suggestion. So, like, it's it's an open mind thing, which was really cool.
0: Now, so once you became a, a part of the rotation, and I don't know – we kind of skipped a, a, a part there where – Um, how you ended up working basically for the company. Was that just a natural progression uh, working through the garden and then being at these house shows and then you were, you know, brought in?
1: Yeah. um, There was a, there was a referee up here in Canada named John Bonello Mm -hmm. who, who used to work the TVs. He was um, I guess, I guess he was the Canadian content at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, he had a little situation and couldn't uh, couldn't travel to to the U.S. anymore. Um, <laughs> I through his misfortune ended up being my good fortune because yeah. then I started doing televisions and and it's really crazy because my first TV, which I remember now, was in uh, June of eighty seven in Glens Falls, New York, and at my first TV. And you remember when we used to do like three weeks worth of TV tapings in one oh, night? Oh
0: yes, remember it well.
1: So we get through the first two hours, and then Pat comes up to me and goes, uh, okay, we're going to switch up the order a little bit. Uh, you're going to do the one-man gangs match in the in the last hour. Uh, get with him, and he'll tell you what he wants you to do. And I said, yeah. okay. And he says, okay, so I'm going to beat this guy with my finish, the 747 front face suplex, and uh, raise my hand. I'll push you out of the way. I'll hit him again. You get in my face, and I'll hook you, and I'll give it to you. Uh-huh. And again, in this situation, we're like, I've never taken a real bump before, so <laughs> you know, and I said, Yeah, why okay. not start with
0: a one-man gang who was a little yeah. stiff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I said, okay, and he says, don't worry. I says he says, uh, I'll take care of you, and just turn your head to the side, and so you don't land on your nose and stuff like that. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> and you know, I did that first TV, you know, and I get to the back and Pat looks at me, goes, Are "You okay?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm actually like." jacked right now you know what i mean that yeah. adrenaline right yeah says, yeah oh, okay just checking that was
0: yeah. it. <laughs> you were on
1: board yeah absolutely I, now now if i wasn't hooked before after that it was like man i want to do this again hit me yeah. again
0: <laughs> that's very cool uh so then it just you know rack it up you're working with all these uh these superstars um Did you guys, because at some point, like I said, indirectly, you guys became personalities as well. Uh, Did it keep you, did they, did you guys become, is that all you had to do? Like if you were a ref or were you still setting up the ring when you went to these different, uh, I mean, how did it work? Did you, was there a point where you were elevated to a certain level or you were always part of the crew? Uh,
1: Always part of the crew until, believe me or not, probably about, I want to say 2005. And, and even then, when they wow. said, okay, we're, gonna, we're, we're just going to have you referee, we're not going to have you on the rink anymore, I felt like, nah, man. I, I, I didn't mind doing the crew because uh, for, for several reasons. A, I didn't mind it. Uh, you also, stuff like your your trans and your stuff was taken care of when you were part of the crew.
0: Did you get extra money to do to, to, to the matches or how did, how did that work? Yeah, it was a separate pay. It was a separate pay for
1: refereeing and separate for doing the crew work. Oh. Okay.
0: So that's so, cool. So you're getting your double dipping.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't have a problem with that. Absolutely oh. not. You know oh. what I mean? And again, the perks that come with being on the crew is, you know, your cards and your your hotels and all your trans is taken care of. So hey, no problem with me.
0: So all right. Uh, so so yeah. in eighty eight. <laughs> I mean this is moving along pretty quickly here. I mean you're at WrestleMania. I mean that's yeah. gigantic. And uh, you're only conscious for a, a short part of it. Can you tell that story? <laughs>
1: what the hell happened? Again, my first WrestleMania. Super yeah. stoked. Oh my it. god! Yeah. Trump Plaza, and I'm doing the Intercontinental Championship match with Honky Tonk Man versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And this is uh, there's a scenario where Brutus gets Honky in the in his sleeper, which is his finishing hold. Jimmy Hart jumps up on the apron and I argue with him to get down. And when I turn around, he blasts me in the back with the megaphone and I take a faceplant. and, you know, they go to the finish. Yeah. Um, now the rumor out there for a long time was that Jimmy knocked me out with the megaphone, which is not yeah. true. I knocked myself out because as I faceplanted, I wanted it to look, it's, it's WrestleMania. You want to look good. Yeah. Uh, my, my chin hit the canvas and I guess it hit that right spot. And it just, that was it. I was, Really? Yeah, knocked myself out. Um, You know, um, Joey apparently came out and started shaking me and says, "Hey, you're supposed to call for the bell now." I don't remember that. And (laughs) the only thing I remember is that Joey and Danny Davis dragging me back, and that was it. Yeah. So you, but you, how long do you think you were out? Uh, I had no idea. To be honest with you, I didn't know I was out until they (laughs) told me. You know what I mean? They said, "Yeah, okay." I said, "Yeah, I'm fine. Why?" Said, okay, but <laughs> how many fingers am I holding up? Two. What's wrong with you? You know, um, you guys are. Yeah,
0: I can't. I am was- trying to remember how they finished that match. You, you're out. Joey, yeah, basically- Joey Morella runs out, right? And yeah. so, how did they?
1: How did they finish it? it, it basically, Joey called for the disqualification because. <laughs>
0: I wasn't a way to do so. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's certainly a, a WrestleMania moment never to be forgotten. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I wish I could remember it. But I yeah. have to remember it on video now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Jimmy, so so many matches. Um, what are some of the, the biggest highlight ones that you, I mean, ones that stand out? There's so many you mention in the book, but uh, the... the, the a couple that just really stand out to you. Cause I know you, I'm not, I'm not going to have you on here for long, but uh, I, I tell a few of those.
1: Well, you know, um, man, I, I, I mean like the first Hulk Hogan match I ever worked, believe it or not, was a, was a dark match at TV way back when I want to say it was in California or something against killer Khan, mm-hmm. And it was like, man, I'm getting to do a Hulk Hogan match here. And, and, you know, and I, and, and, Part of the match was I get, Killer Khan used to do the green mist. Yeah. I spray the green mist yeah. and stuff. I, I get misted in the match. And, and I you know, I'm selling the hell out of that at the same time trying to think this is so cool. I'm getting green mist all over me, not realizing that it's a murder to get off. <laughs> trying yeah. to scrub
0: that Oh, was it really?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I think I think part of it was a rib on me. Because, you know, I got to the back and I'm ready to wash this stuff off. It's all over my shirt. It's all over my face. And then people are saying, no, 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 no. Just keep it on in case somebody wants to shoot this or someone wants to take pictures or, you know. And at the time, Steve Taylor was the photographer, yeah. you know. Are they they just ribbon, you, maybe? No, no, no. Leave it on. Leave it on. Leave it on. And the longer you leave that stuff on, the harder right. it is to get on. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. So by the time I, was, I go to wash it off, I'm like, oh, I'm going to need sandpaper for this stuff. <laughs> Eventually, I got it off, but the the, the shirt was finished. <laughs> How, what about
0: some, some of the miss, mishaps that happened? And, uh, you know, we'll get to, uh, and you certainly can't call it a mishap, but uh, to the, the match with Owen. But, uh, you know, some of these other matches along the way that, because anything can happen. Um, a lot of people don't realize these may be choreographed or whatever you want to say, but these guys are professional athletes. They're basically professional stuntmen, and, and things happen all the time. And then you've got a third man in there who's got to be part of this dance as well. Were there uh, any other instances that really stand out to you that, uh, uh, I don't know, where you took a big bump or uh, things that were supposed to happen didn't
1: quite go that way? (laughs) For me personally, I I remember, you know, I've been fortunate not to get too hurt. I, I mean, like, I remember Kevin Nash one time separating my shoulder on a simple, like, beal throw where he just like hooks me under my arms and just kind of like tosses me aside and me the idiot i am thinking well i'm going to help him by jumping there was one time though uh it was a match with edge and shelton benjamin where uh, they got to the finish i counted one two and after two um it felt like something snapped in my thumb like like you know like the rubber band feeling yeah yeah and and i counted three but not hard like the other two so it was kind of like, did he count three? Did he not count three? It's little stuff like that, and then you get to the back, and you're like, what the hell happened? And you know, stupid little things that happen that people don't realize. Everybody, you know, everybody sees the big, uh, like injuries. Like for example, what happened to Draws that year, which was terrible.
0: Now, when you have these matches, and and folks have seen, you know, when you guys take a bump, where you you know you go down, you got to, you got to time that. And I don't know if you guys. Did you, did you work at that? And then that's not something that the boys are, are necessarily concentrating on, but it is a really important part of the finish or whatever's going on then. Uh, how did you prepare for that? I mean, that, 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 because you had to get it right. You couldn't miss something that's important to a match if, if, if involving a finish. So how did you, how did you get that set?
1: Um, it, again, it's, it's all a matter of listening to them and trying to get the timing down. Um, And again, my philosophy for ref bumps are the referee shouldn't bump like the boys bump because they're trained professional wrestlers and technically the referee is not. So if I take, if I get hit and I take a flat back bump in my mind, I always tried this. I always tried the philosophy of it has to look awkward and try not to make it look like you're taking a wrestling bump, but at the same time, try not to kill yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. You got (laughs) to, it's a fine line. Yeah, you don't want to hurt yourself, but at the same time, you want to make it look uh, as un—I don't want to say uncoordinated—as unnatural a wrestling bump as possible. Yeah. To make it look realistic. Yeah. And and at and at times it it, you know uh, it it hurts a little bit, but at the same I, I I don't I can't say that a bump other than the shoulder thing really I got hurt from. So yeah, I, but th- been- but that really
0: that really is a, an art. There's a skill to that. Like you said, you can't make it look like you're taking a wrestling bump. It's got to be like this guy just trying to do his job. He gets caught in the middle of something. And you got to go down like you'd fall if you're out on the street somewhere. And, exactly. and that isn't easy to pull it off. You got to you have to make it look real like a natural right. thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- sometimes uh, you j- you have to just let yourself go yeah. and not and not think so hard about it. I think did so. you I take
0: th- did you take many that you, where you were knocked out of the ring you know you'd have to go onto the floor?
1: Uh a few a few I actually um again uh, this this was a, a suggestion of mine I, I were um I I one of the other things too I always tried to be creative with ref bumps if, if uh, some like again when I felt more comfortable offering suggestions um I, I like to think outside the box one I I I suggested one time to to Hunter uh That, uh, they would be fighting on the floor and I would go out to the floor with them. And as they were getting back in the ring, somebody would hit the ropes on the other side, come charging across. And as I'm getting up on the apron, get knocked off that way. Yeah. You know, stuff like that, something different. Um, I have been knocked out of the ring, uh, through the ropes. Uh, yeah, a few times. Yeah. So again, um, I, I try not to fly through the ropes like somebody would, it's almost like a hook a rope and hit the apron and kind of go down. It's almost like a three part bump.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like what Jimmy Hart would do. Jimmy was really good at that. Uh, because he, he had the same situation. He couldn't make it look like he was taking a wrestling bump. So, you know, they throw him out. And at that last second, he would be able to, you know, just you know, get his, get a hand wrapped around the rope, which would save him from, you know, breaking his yeah. neck. But he was really good at that. It had a real, and, and it's the same thing. You have to have that timing and, uh, and it has to look like, you know, some uh, poor schmuck who just got clobbered, you know, not not taking a bump.
1: Exactly. That's uh, the, again, uh, my philosophy for that. Just don't look like you're taking a wrestling bump. <laughs> it sounds simple, but, uh, you know, there, there it is an art form, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I hate to go on a dark note here, but it, this is uh, something I've, I've wanted to. Ask you for a long time. I know you were the referee in that match uh, in May, May 23rd, 1999, uh, at the over the edge for uh, the match with uh, Owen, who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that you worked with him a lot. I, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him. I thought he was one of the, the nicest people I ever met, and not just in wrestling. I, I really thought he was such a great guy and genuinely uh, fun loving. And you know, and as a, a guy that was a big river, but you know what was different with him, Jimmy, is that they were they were fun natured. You know, it wasn't like he was; it was mean spirited. You know, and they were God, just so funny, the way he, he exactly. did. The, yeah,
1: yeah. It wasn't it wasn't malicious. It wasn't like uh, locking your bags together or doing anything. Just right. di- razoring them. your
0: clothes or your pants or something.
1: He just you was know, really. It was like. Calling up your hotel room, claiming to be the pizza guy in the lobby, waiting for yeah. you to come get your, pizza. you know, stuff like that. It was, uh, uh you know, I, if you ever talked to Brett, you know, Brett tells a story about Stu uh, uh, Owen calling Stu, and claiming to be Reggie Parks, who is an old school wrestler and one, and challenging Stu to a fight, and you know, Stu getting all <laughs> wired and stuff like that. It was, it was even in the ring, Edge and Christian versus uh, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett. We were in Germany, and there was a tag match. And we did the old, old you know, pulling a foreign object out of his tights and, and hitting Edge with it behind my back and yeah. Edge selling. We're doing the back and forth where he's passing it to Jeff and I'm checking and Christian's complaining and Edge is selling like he's getting hit with uh, brass knuckles and stuff. And we, do, we, we finally get to the end spot where he's got it hide, hidden under his armpit. And yeah. I start to make him raise his arm. When he raises his arm, it's a napkin. Edge is something like he's hitting him with a ton of bricks. And when the napkin's yeah. floating to the ground, everybody just broke out laughing. It was like, it, it, he, he's so much fun. He yeah. was so much
0: fun. He really was. An, just a, an awesome individual. And and I always, uh, I just thought he he could have done so much more with the WWF, uh, be, but you know, with the Blue Blazer. I mean, he was just so talented. I just think it was just a matter of time. I thought before he would find like the right, what was the right place for him because he was so good in the ring, and and uh, you know such a gifted athlete too, and and he could, you know, he had he had it all. I thought, and it's it's just a damn shame uh, what happened. And uh, taking you back to that day, um, and that match, you know, it seemed that, and we see it even today now. They just the, these things that surround the match are just getting get bigger and bigger. And do you remember at the time, and I don't know how cued in you were to what they were going to do with this, but do you remember thinking like, wow, that's, uh, that's kind of dangerous or just, that's the way things were being done then. And it wasn't that unusual.
1: Uh, pretty much the latter because, uh, I, you know, at the time sting was doing something similar in WCW, yeah. uh, rappelling from the ceiling and stuff like that. So, um, for me, like again, personally, for me, I couldn't do it because I have this fear of heights, yeah. so I wouldn't be able to do something like that. But I didn't, you know, it, it, it's it's easy to say in hindsight, oh yeah, they they shouldn't have done it; it was dangerous yeah. but at the time. You're not thinking like that; you're thinking, oh here, you know, this is part of the entertainment process of wrestling, and it's it's something that had been done before without incidents, so you do, you don't you don't think that anything this terrible would happen so uh you know it, it was just a rough day all around it was a tragic accident that happened and and you know it uh obviously you know affected a lot of people that day yeah
0: well and and also i mean the wwf all the time i was there whenever vince did something it wasn't like they would go get somebody who really didn't know what they were doing uh you know i mean you always felt like they had these true professionals If they had pyrotechnics or anything they brought people in that really knew what they were doing um so i'm sure that there was a level of trust there that and like you said it was just a tragic accident but um from your perspective tell tell me what happened that day uh,
1: see I, I don't know the particulars but from from where i was basically before before that match was to take place uh they had a hardcore match um uh-huh. Al. I want to say it was Al Snow and, oh boy, uh, Hardcore Holly maybe, where they fought all over the place. There was like debris in the ring, broken tables, and stuff like that. So um, I ran out for the match and and also was helping him clear some of the debris from the ring, uh, kicking stuff out of the ring. And I was actually working my way towards that corner um, where Owen ultimately fell. And I was holding the top rope, kicking some stuff out, and um, I heard some, you know, they had the um, the promo of the Blue Blazer playing on the screen, mm. on the on Tron, and while we were cleaning up, and all of a sudden I heard something, somebody yell, I didn't hear what, I just heard a yell, and in an instant I felt something brush the side of my head, and the top rope snapped out of my hand, and snapped back, and hit me, in the fingers, and... And first thing that came to my mind was, oh my God, the top rope just broke for no reason. Right. Mm-hmm. So I look, I'm, I'm looking around and the top rope is there. And then I turn and I see one lying in the ring and I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm not processing two and two. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, You know? And so, you know, I, his eyes are still wide open, but there was no response. And so I, I just started freaking out and calling Mark at the, at the, Yaten at the timekeeper table, you know, calling for help. And, and that's basically what happened I, from my standpoint. That's what I saw. That's all I saw, you know, and like, as far as what happened up there, they don't know. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: You know, it just that, uh, and then, uh, you know, they, uh, they had, they had me go along to the hospital just because I was like, I guess, in a state of shock, I guess, for lack of a better term, just to make sure that uh mentally i was okay i guess and i don't this is the funny part i the next day this was kansas city and the next day we were in st louis and i still don't remember to this day going from kansas city to st louis yeah it's just yeah it's just a blur in my mind i just don't remember it Uh, i don't remember traveling there and the next day i i was talking to uh jerry lawler and lawler said uh he said, you're okay? And I said, you know, as okay as I'm going to be. He says, my God, he says, you don't know how close you came. And I said, close to what? He said, he saw about the last 15, 20 feet of Owen's fall. And the first thing that he thought in his mind was uh, that he was going to fall on top of me. And I'm not uh-huh. trying to make this a I'm just saying how close this was. And, and he couldn't tell that whether it was his arm or what that brushed against the side of my head. And that's what I felt. Wow. He said, if you'd have been a foot over, he said the tragedy would have been a lot worse, and I'm like, yeah. oh my goodness and, and uh, yeah, so like again, I'm not trying to make this about me I'm just you know but when
0: when he was falling, you said you was was he trying was he yelling you know to to uh, to get you out of the way, or what was or you don't have any recollection of what that
1: no i I don't remember i mean like i said i heard I heard some yelling I don't know what it was mm-hmm. um afterwards by people that that's what it was but mm. you know I, I'm going by the their word I, I just I just heard yelling that was it yeah
0: and and he, he struck that top rope that's uh,
1: um, apparently he landed in the corner so he uh, apparently has that top turnbuckle in the corner uh. which which in turn caused the rope to that's what caused the rope to, to, to like pull out. Yeah, of the I mean, you stuff.
0: often wonder if if would, like you said, it was a, a matter of feet. If, if he might've landed, you know, in the ring, um, mm. if it might have been a different story because there might've been more give in that floor. Right. Uh, but I guess, you know, you could, you could wonder that forever, but just, uh, I just remember, uh, hearing it that day. And it was, I, I can't even imagine what it must've been like at that arena. Um, and the you know the show must go on, and no one really knew what his condition was. I don't believe at that moment, or at that point in time.
1: Uh, no, I don't think they did.
0: But God, I, and for weeks beyond that, I. Uh, it's just uh, a terrible, terrible tragedy, and and uh, uh, like I said before, what you think of what that a kid's career could have been like. Uh, I, I think uh, he would have been as big as Brett. I, I really do. I always thought he was just so talented. And, you know, putting the the capes on him and the feathers and everything, I, I just hoped that uh, at some point they're going to find the right – he's going to find his place.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, I, he just never got that chance. And it's just uh, – it was a tragedy. But. Uh.
1: I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, from a talent standpoint, he was every good as yeah. Brett was in the ring and, and and again, not a knock against Brett, but it just seemed like Owen understood the, got more of the uh as we call it sports entertainment nowadays. Mm-hmm. He uh, he got the entertainment side of it as well. You know, Brett seems a little more old school and a little more hesitant to do the uh the more overtly uh entertainment side of it. Yeah. Yeah. so well, and he man. was he
0: was the natural entertainer too no question about that uh Jimmy, you worked with so many greats uh with during your time there um but who were who were some of the of the superstars that uh not only just you really liked being around but
1: but working with that were that you liked working in the ring with Kurt angle was was amazing. I mentioned Eddie already uh edge and christian both were fun, yeah, uh, you mentioned wind, Brett um but uh the the guy I, i'm 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 an undertaker guy yeah and there is there is a there is a special aura among uh, around that surrounds him as well like you know you you talk about um because you've been around vince and vince has that aura around him whenever you're around him yeah. even even when he's in his uh, jovial friendly mood yeah. he still has he's still vince mcmahon damn it you know what i mean yeah and and even undertaker's the same way i mean undertaker when he's not in the ring and he's away from it is one of the coolest guys on on earth but still it's like i don't know he it, there's just something about the undertaker that is that is so cool and and, and i got you know i uh, got the pleasure to work with him so many times andre yeah. oh my goodness roddy piper Randy Savage, oh my god. I I could I could sit here for like an hour and just start listing names for you. <laughs> it's so again, I, I can't I can't again uh describe how, how cliche this sounds, but how blessed I was to work with all these guys. I mean, like I think back and I go, Holy cow, I got to work with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, you know, like yeah.
0: John Cena.
1: John Cena, man. Yeah. I mean, like, no.
0: It's amazing. Well, and 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 these people are bigger than you know, larger than life uh, to them, and and rightly so. They are. They're these uh, tremendous entertainers, but there's a different side to them. They're they are people. They have families. They've got kids, and they become part of your family. I mean, you you're with them probably more than you are with your own family when you're when you're traveling with the WWE, and uh, you know, and, and they're they're there are these guys that really stand out. They're just great people. There, there's also others that aren't, but I remember when, when Mark came in and uh, we, we often talk about gimmicks, you know, and, and, oh yeah, that was a great gimmick. Well, you know, there's a lot that, I mean, you could have taken something like the undertaker and, and given it to somebody else and it could have lasted a couple of months and then just died uh, <laughs> literally. But mm-hmm. When he, I remember the first time seeing him and take as the when that that was he was the Undertaker and I was like, whoa, this guy has it. There's just this, like you said, the aura or whatever it was. Uh, I I looked at uh, you know a, a couple of matches a few weeks ago, one of the Saturday Night Main Events, and he was in one of these one of the matches with uh, with Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. And and seeing him back then, and he had kind of had the flare hair. You know, he had this, you know, the red hair. He didn't have all the tats. Yeah. And he was, you know, just, he hadn't been there long. And I, I just really got a kick out of watching him because now you see what he became. But that was just the beginning. But you could see it. I mean, you could just, right. just feel it, you know. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that over and over again when you bring guys in and they come and go. But there's some that just have it and you know that they're going to you know maybe a few matches in or whatever and you go yeah and i'm sure you yeah. see i mean you were right there
1: yeah I, I, absolutely i saw it and and it's funny because i mentioned Kurt angle earlier um here's a guy who um wasn't i guess a wrestling fan growing up mm-hmm. you know and and from, and, and it's it's really difficult. Uh, I don't know if people understand how uh, difficult it is for someone from, from uh, an amateur wrestling or a Greco Roman style freestyle wrestling world to, or any combat sport to do professional wrestling. It's a completely different animal. And here's, he picked it up. Like, you know, like the first time he got in the ring, you you look at him and you go, I remember the first dark match he did. And you went, holy crap, this guy gets it. This guy really gets it. And then he just, excelled and kept getting better and better. And it was amazing. Um, so, you know, there are guys like that. There are guys you see um, like a stone cold. Like it's funny with, with, with someone like stone cold, when he first came to the WW, WWF WWE at the time, um, you knew how good he was, but you know, it, it's funny how sometimes with certain characters, you have a great gimmick, like the undertaker and it fit that perfect person perfectly. Yeah. Stone cold was Basically, Austin turned up to twelve. <laughs> you know well, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but it
0: took him a while to find it, and it and it uh, you know where he was to the point where uh, he he saw the the clock ticking and saying I'm running out of time here and I'm sick of listening to people and that was mm-hmm. <laughs> basically a shoot when he finally and and same with the with with the Rock, uh, you yep. know. But once they found it, and that's I said, i mentioned, like Owen. Oh, I I I was waiting for that for that to happen, and because I think it would have uh but really it's just amazing and and then, like you said, you look back and and just think about it i mean uh, the twenty two years you were there, uh all of these personalities and all these guys you got to know that were you know kind of like brothers in a sense um uh, mm-hmm. when when you look back at that, do you go like, Wow, uh, I can't believe that that was me. You got to be a part of all that
1: uh, yeah, absolutely, even to this day, I mean, like uh, it's been what nine years removed from from that world, and I still. Yeah. I still keep in contact with some guys like, uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, uh, when they're in town, I go by and say hello, which is uh, cool. And, and when I do, it's, it's it, what, what's really cool for me is not, not just seeing the old friends, is seeing some of the guys, the younger guys that I've never met before. And, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of cool when they come up and they know who you are. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? I, I I never expect that. Do you know what I mean? I didn't expect like uh some like uh Scott Dawson from the revival to come up and hey Jimmy, nice to meet you. And I'm like, oh cool, nice to meet you too. You know, yeah, but
0: uh, you know, Jimmy, a lot of these they're students of the game. I mean, they really uh you know, they know every part of it. There's so many of these guys that you know grew up loving professional wrestling and they were watching it they were watching these matches when you're in the ring. So yeah, that's I'm sure it's, it's flattering, but uh you know, these guys it's not surprising, I should say, because a lot of these guys they came up loving the product and you were a big part of it.
1: Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's a, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it's humbling too at the same time. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, it's very nice, you know, it's it's very cool. And then it then all of a sudden you see Tony Chimmel and you're back down to reality. We traveled together for a long time uh with Kyoto. And, yep. uh, and, uh, Larry, the trainer. So it, that was kind of like our basic uh, car <laughs> for, yeah. for a lot of things. Uh, yeah. So he, he's he's basically my Al Snow. I'm, I'm, if I was Mick Foley, he'd be my Al Snow. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you left in 2009 and, uh, you get into broadcasting. Like how did, how did that happen? I hey, go from, we, did you do that prior to that in your spare time <laughs> or how did that come about because i know that you uh you're a part of that world now
1: yeah um well basically what happened is uh, after i left wwe i took some time off uh really to just decompress and reacquaint myself with my wife
0: introduce everybody <laughs> and, yeah
1: and then uh i i'm thinking what well, i've got to do something now um you know can't just the uh, re- retire i got to do something and i i always was interested in broadcasting so i took one of those courses i took a short course in broadcasting and and I befriend, uh, became friends with uh, Ardo Ocal, who was working at the Score Television Network at the time. Uh, he later on, went on to WWE to become Kyle Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, we became friends, and and he said, hey, I got, uh, he had an, uh, a radio show on Monday nights called Right After Wrestling, and uh-huh. it was run right after Raw, and it was broadcast on XM Satellite Radio. And he said, you know, uh, can we do a segment with you called ask the ref where we'll do, you know, we'll ask you a random question And one week it'll be serious. And one week it'll be just tongue in cheek and have fun.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and I said, yeah, that you know, it was a weekly segment. We just did it. It was like a couple of minutes and that was it. And his co-host got moved out of that position because he ended up going on to produce another show. So he said, can you come in one week and just guest host for a week? I said, uh-huh. yeah, I'd love to.
0: Another so opportunity.
1: Yeah, so I went in and we did the show, had a lot of fun, you know, and he said, can you come back next week? I said, yeah, I, I mean, it, will this lead to something? He says, yeah, hopefully it will, and it led to, a you know, a permanent spot on, on that radio show until the radio show went away and then became a podcast and then it became a TV show. Um, and, and now the, the TV show is still continuing to this day, which I referred to earlier as the Talking Dead of Wrestling called yeah. Aftermath up in Canada, which I do with, um, with uh, the former Santino Morella, uh, Nug Nargang, who is a, an improv comic, and our host is Caroline Sved, who is um, uh, keeping us boys in line,
0: basically. Yeah. So how, how could uh, someone catch this? How, how, how can we uh, tune in to see the
1: show? Um, as of right now, I don't know if it's geoblocked, but it's available on YouTube, on uh, on the sportsnet.ca Uh, website, but I don't know if it's just available in Canada or not, but it's on every Tuesday night at 7.30 on Sportsnet 360 here in Canada, and it's a lead into SmackDown because uh, Sportsnet, which is a uh, Rogers um, Communications, is the broadcast partner of the WWE up here in Canada. They broadcast all their and also uh, handle the distribution of the WWE network up here in Canada. So, they are a business partner, and uh, so basically, we're kind of like doing a show. Um, not, it's not under the WWE umbrella, but it's under the partners' umbrella.
0: Yeah, you're still connected, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, well, this uh, you're still part of this business, and uh, will be forever, uh, folks. Also, uh, Jimmy's got a a book out uh, called "The Three Count: My Life in Stripes" as a WWE referee. I know you can still get it on Amazon. Uh, but, uh, I, I imagine there's other outlets as well, Jimmy, to get, uh, get your book. It's still out there.
1: Yeah. But I think Amazon is probably the easiest and most efficient place to get it. That's for sure. <laughs> but, uh-huh. unless you go to etwpress.com. Okay. Very cool.
0: Uh, and also, do you have uh, an email? Somebody wanted to drop you an email. I don't know if you're on Twitter. or
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Jimmy Corderas. Instagram is at real Jimmy Corderas. And, uh, Uh, Also on Facebook, it's former WWE referee Jimmy Corderas. Uh, If somebody wants to hit me up, just DM me, shoot me a message on Facebook, whatever. That's cool.
0: (laughs) Well, Jimmy, uh, it's been a pleasure. And I'll tell you, I mean, I always respected you guys so much because uh, it's not an easy job. And the best at it, like you said, are the ones you really don't notice in there uh, until you need to. And uh, you were certainly one of the greats who were able to do that along with that uh, other core of – Uh, professionals, but uh, it's great. It's been great having you on primetime. Thank you so much.
1: No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was good catching up.
0: All right, Jimmy, take care.
1: All right. Take care, Sean.
0: See what I tell you. Great guest, right? Great conversation with Jimmy Corderas. Uh, Spending all that time with the WWF and uh, WWE um, as a uh, referee, and then, of course, he was a behind-the-scenes guy. I loved hearing about uh, his time in Canada because, you know, a lot of people don't understand uh, just how big uh, professional wrestling was and is in Canada, but that, at that time, when he first started, and, and uh, Jack Tunney and uh, the rest of the folks up there, and, of course, you had Stu Hart, and they had organizations just like they had here in the United States and you knew it wasn't long before vince mcmahon was going to make his way up there which he did and some of the smart guys up there uh, got on board the other ones uh got uh, pushed to the to the side of the road as the uh, wwf wwe express uh was built and just barreled through there and just kept on going and uh i think that's uh some of the more touching and uh emotional parts of that conversation of course when he's talking about owen hart and, um, you know, he, he was right there. I mean, absolutely right there. And, uh, you know, recounting that tragedy and how it has stayed with him forever. Um, really enjoyed talking to Jimmy. Uh, once again, guys, really thanks for tuning in. Uh, I want to remind you that this Saturday I will be in Winston-Salem at the Benton Convention Center from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at WrestleCade. Man, you know, I've seen some of the names of the people that are going to be there. Everybody's going to be there a lot of my old friends i say you know that uh, you know edge is going to be there and and uh uh gene okerlund's going to be there and you just all these old superstars from um, back in the day it's really turned into a, quite an event uh, it takes place you know all weekend but i will be there saturday that's the 23rd from 10am to 3pm And if you're in Winston-Salem, please come to the event. Come by and say hi. You can get uh, tickets and other information by going to WrestleCade.com. And I hope that uh, I'll see you there. Again, I want to thank our sponsor this week, the Rocket Wrestling Podcast, hosted by Nick Newman. Uh, They are great friends of the program. I uh, had the great fortune to be a guest on there. I had a ball because they talk about all kinds of things, not just wrestling, They love rock and heavy metal and uh, whatever else is happening in the world. uh, It's really a a fun listen, and they drop it every Wednesday, guys. And remember, you can follow uh, the Rock and Wrestling Podcast on Twitter at Nick's RNW Podcast or on Instagram at Rock and Wrestling Podcast. And of course, Facebook, uh, Nick's Rock and Wrestling Podcast. So remember to check out the Rock and Wrestling Podcast hosted by Nick Newman. You like rock? You like wrestling? You will love the Rock and Wrestling Podcast. In the meantime, have a tremendous Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're listening to this after it, I, I hope you enjoyed the meal. I hope you enjoyed all the football. You didn't have any family fights. You weren't talking politics. You just had a great time. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's what I want to hear. Uh, you can uh, get in touch with me. Remember, uh, through Gmail, you can uh, get me at primetimemooney at gmail.com. Primetimemooney at gmail.com got another great episode coming up next week. I'm going to go ahead and tell you who it is as we continue now. You know, I really love talking to our female guests. We're going to have another one, but we're just uh, lining them up now. And I think that uh, um, they're they're, they're going to be a regular part of this podcast as we move forward. But we're going to welcome Wendy Richter. Uh, Wendy is, uh, what an incredible story. She was, uh, we talked about rock and wrestling. She was the original rock and wrestler with um, Cindy Lauper teaming up with all that was going on with MTV and remember back in the day WrestleMania won and uh, she was a big part of all that was going on there a brief period of time though when she talks about really how long it actually lasted and uh, you know we hear about the Montreal screw job all the time. Well there happened to be another one that took place a little earlier and you're going to hear all about it when we welcome Wendy Richter. Next week, and I know you're going to, remember I said, got a great guest, so trust me on this. Uh, It is going to be a great conversation. It's happening next week. Uh, That's it for Prime Time with Sean Mooney this week, though. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.